You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. It's good to see you this morning. So glad that you're here. I believe the Lord's going to speak to our hearts today. I told you several Sundays ago that I'll be sharing a, a phrase with you again that I want to share with you now. It's this phrase. You'll see it on the screens. The demonstration of faith is always obedience. The demonstration of faith is always obedience. Now, church family, I'll tell you, I'm nothing. Only by the grace of God do I stand here today. But I do want to share with you a demonstration of faith from my life. I wish I had a ton of these, but I don't. But I do have this one. And this one actually led me to being here as your pastor, one of your pastors. Here is my demonstration of faith, or at least where it started. Yep, a gas station. That is an actual gas station about 15 minutes outside of Asheville, the Love's out there. And it was there in a parking space. You'll see where this uh, truck is pictured, this train air conditioner truck. That's where I was parked in October of 2005. I called Pam and I said these words to her. I can't do this anymore. I was on my way to meet an architect and a contractor for securing a large hardwood flooring order for the company I was working for. It was about 7.30 in the morning. Pam, on the other end of the line, said these two wonderful words to me. I know. Oh, I'm so grateful that you ladies are intuitive and you see things that we cannot see. I said, you know? She said, yeah, I know. She said, the Lord's calling you to the ministry, Kevin. She said, I see it. I just, you just need to see it for yourself. She said, look, honey, just do what he's telling you to do. It was in that parking space that our lives changed because it was at that moment the decision was made, we're going to be obedient to the Lord's call. And yet we didn't even know where that was going to end up. I did not know that it would end up here. I had no idea. I didn't know if it meant selling the house. I didn't know if it meant leaving and going to seminary somewhere. I, I just know that God said... You're done with this, and now you're going to do this. It was a scary decision. Folks, I was 37 years old, well-established in my career. Everything was going great. I got the job. I landed the job. It was a huge flooring order. Cliffs Communities over in Asheville, the Tiger Woods Design Golf Course. It meant nothing. I told Pam, I said, I just can't do this anymore. God was moving me and wooing me into the ministry. Would I obey? Well, I did. <laughs> like I said, I wish I had a lot of these to tell you. I don't, but I do have that one, and here I am today. The demonstration of faith is always obedience. 
So how goes it with you today, this morning? Are you perhaps in a similar situation? Maybe not being called into the ministry, but you know, you all have a ministry. We all do. You have a ministry where you work. You have a ministry in your home. You have a ministry where your kids play ball or dance. You have a ministry everywhere you go. You're not better or worse because you're in the ministry because we all have a ministry. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're all called to be His witnesses. We're all called to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So I'm not something extra special because I'm standing here. Don't ever think that. There's that understanding somewhere out there that if you're really truly committed as a believer in Christ, you've got to go into the ministry or go on the mission field or something like that. That is simply not true. God needs salt and light in every aspect of life. So be that where you are. But yes, God sometimes changes and moves us. I've, I've watched in our county, I've watched in our church as a large business has chosen to make a lot of changes and a lot of our people have had to decide, what are we going to do? Seeking the Lord, praying, asking Him, what would you have us do? You know, if I'm honest with you, I look back to that fall afternoon in October of 2005, and, and I look back at, at myself back then, and I, and, I, and I literally go, how did I do that? Not, I don't want you to think like, I, you know, pat me on the back, but I, but I look at myself and I go, I wonder if I would still do that today. Would I have the faith to chuck it all? Everything that I had worked for. Everything that I had gone to school for, been trained for, and to just walk away from it, just like that. Just because God said so. Will we obey Him when He tells us to? Maybe you look back at your life, I'm sure you do, and you have instances. You all could stand up here in my place and share of instances as a believer when you, by faith... You've got your story. You've got your love's gas station. And you might look back at those situations now and go, how did I do that? You see the hand of God in your life. And you see how he works. So whether it's in a love's gas station parking lot, or it's Noah building a boat, or... Abraham on a mountain called Moriah or Moses crossing the Red Sea or it's you in your situation today sitting in a purple chair at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. The key is that we obey God's voice. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you recognize the voice of God? Can you discern the voice of God in your head, in your spirit, in your mind, in your being? Jesus said, my sheep know me and they recognize my voice. If my wife were in this side room and I heard her voice and didn't hear her or, or didn't see her but only heard her voice, would I recognize it? Yes, of course, because I have a relationship with her. Do you have a relationship with God? If you do, you should be able to recognize his voice. It's usually a still, small voice. But you can discern it. Separate from your voice. Separate from the voice, certainly, of Satan. Separate from the voice of, of all the other voices crying out. 
And that's God's desire. This is the book of Hebrews, explaining and expressing to Jews that they can have a relationship with God, that you and I, though we cannot see God in heaven, that we might have a relationship with someone that we cannot see. At this point in our, in our existence, it's going to have to be by way of His Spirit. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So it's unseen. It's not something that we can tangibly see, but it is something that we can experience and that we can even feel inside of our spirit as He bears witness, Romans 8 teaches with our spirit do you recognize the voice of God what is he telling you to do are you doing what he's telling you to do the book of Hebrews in this chapter of faith chapter 11 has been just a, an amazing list of people who have chosen to obey the voice of God they heard the voice of God and then they were obedient to the voice of God Abel Enoch Noah Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. And today we're going to see two more. We come to chapter 11. We find ourselves in verse 30. And it's interesting, and I'll say this again, that as we're making our way through the book of Hebrews, we're also making our way through the Old Testament. We've made our way all the way through the book of Genesis and Exodus. And Pastor Dale shared with our last message a couple of weeks ago about Moses. Moses. The man who delivered the people of Israel to the edge of the promised land. And what we're going to see today is the fact that just as Moses had taken the people through the Red Sea 40 years earlier, Joshua, Moses' successor, would take the people through the Jordan River right to the gateway to the entrance of the promised land. But they would have to conquer a city first to get in, Jericho. And it's there that we're going to see two more great examples of faith in the hall of faith. You've made your way to Hebrews 11. Look at verses 30 and 31 with me. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, we read these two verses and, 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 and they're just almost like pulled out of thin air. Jericho and Rahab, and boom, we're on to the next verses. That seems odd to us because, well, we're not Jews. But to a Jewish person, the book of Hebrews being written to Jews who have given their lives to Christ, some are still on the cusp of believing, but the majority have chosen to trust Christ. These stories were very familiar to them. These were stories that they'd heard ever since they were children but not so much with us. We've heard about Jericho. We've sung songs about Jericho maybe as a child in Sunday school and the walls come a-tumbling down. Jericho is the entry point to the promised land, right up to the place where Abraham had brought, or Abraham had been told that was going to be the land of the descendants. And Moses had brought the people right to that entrance. And then Joshua is going to take them in. In order for us to see this, though, in order for us to see Jericho, in order for us to see Rahab, we're going to have to go back, right? Like we've been doing Old Testament. So let's do that. Go with me to Joshua chapter 6. You're going to go back to the sixth book of the Bible. The first five books are the Pentateuch. Moses wrote those. And you're going to go to the sixth book. Now, as you're making your way to Joshua chapter 6, let me, let me remind you about the children of Israel, okay? They've come out of Egypt. 
There's about two million of them at least. Some scholars say there may be as many as two and a half million. Some scholars say maybe three million people. Why so many? They had been in bondage in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And the nation had grown. They come out of Egypt. God delivers them by way of Moses. And then what happened? They sinned. And they wandered around for 40 years. So it's been 440 years since they've been in the promised land. And here they are. Moses has brought them to the cusp of the promised land. Joshua is preparing to deliver them in. And here's where they are. I want to show you this by way of geography so you'll understand this. Take a look at this map on the screen. I want you to see the Dead Sea at the bottom of the map. And I want you to understand that the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. And as the, as the nation of Israel would come in and they would conquest Canaan, the land of Israel... They would have to ford and go across. God would split the Jordan River just as he had the Red Sea 40 years over. And they would have to come to Jericho. And Jericho would have to be defeated in order for them to be able to take the promised land back. Now as we reach Joshua chapter 6, let me explain a couple more things before we look at the passage. Jericho is on lockdown. They're on lockdown because they now see the nation of Israel has gathered outside their city walls. And I want you to see these city walls. There's actually two walls. Ancient Jericho, as they've done the archaeology of Jericho and I've studied Jericho, there was a lower wall and an upper wall. Many of the ancient cities of the day had a system of walls like this because if you were trying to take over the city and trying to invade it, if you made it over the first wall, you were basically a sitting duck as you were picked off in between the two walls by the warriors of Jericho on the inner wall or the upper wall. See this next image. It'll help give an even clearer picture of this. It was certainly a great system to defend a city. Now, what we're going to read here in Joshua 6 is it talks about the wall falling down. But what we saw earlier in Hebrews 11 are the walls. The, the best way to describe it are walls. It's an interlocking two-wall system. But when you see the word wall, oftentimes they would describe it as one wall even though it was a two-wall system so that you won't be confused. So now I want you to see the military strategy that God is going to give Joshua that he will then parlay to the nation of Israel as how they are going to militarily destroy Jericho. You ready for this? This is quite interesting. Joshua chapter 6, pick up in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. I told you they're on lockdown. They are. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Stop there for a moment. Has the nation or, or Jericho been given to the, the nation of Israel at this point? Not yet. But God said it's as good as done. I mean, when God says it, is it true? God said, Joshua, Jericho is yours. It's got this two-wall system. It, it's, it's, a, it's an impregnable type system. This is, I mean, this, this was me in that love's parking lot. Kevin, trust me. I've got a plan. See, I wanted to know the plan, church, because I'm type A, B, C, and D. I want it all laid out, spelled out. I want a GPS going right to the destination. And God said, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you the first step. And that is, trust me, quit your job. 
okay. One of the hardest things I ever did was walk into my boss's office and tell him, thank God he was a Christian. And I told him his name was Woody. That's pretty cool. He's running a wood company. <laughs> Woody, God's called me to the ministry. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm like, what is up with this? Why does everybody know this? He goes, Kevin, you got a job here as long as you need it. He said, just give me your best, and when it's time to go, you go. That's a God thing. God told Joshua, it's yours. Jericho is yours. And watch this. He says in verse 3, You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. All right, here's the military strategy. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Okay. Um, when do we fight? Verse 5, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall flat down, and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. Stop. You're part of Joshua's men of valor, and you're listening to him say this. He's standing there, and you're going, Okay, I think Joshua's been out in the sun too long because we're going to march around a city for six days and then the seventh day march around it seven times and we're going to blow some horns and shout. Joshua, you want to go over that again? Have you missed something? Isn't that usually how the Lord works? It's something crazy. I mean, bizarre. And you're almost scared to death to tell anybody else because they're going to go, yeah, you've been out in the sun too long. I mean, I actually thought as I sat in that parking lot in Asheville, I thought, you know, I could just make a detour over to Morganton to Broughton and just check into the hospital. <laughs> because what is my family going to think? What is my mom and my dad who educated me and sent me to school and paid all this money and I'm going to throw it down the drain. And, and, you know, initially it was a little tough sledding there because it's hard to understand. And I, I thought, well, how is Pam's mom and dad going to feel? You know, I'm, I signed up to take care of their daughter and I've got kids and what is this going to mean? And what was even crazier is that we were on the cusp of adopting Clara. We adopted her in March of 2006. This was October 2005. That cost money, honey. I'm like, this, the timing of this is terrible. Joshua, you want to go over that again? Nope. Sometimes when the Lord asks us to do things, it's almost embarrassing. Can you imagine them walking around the city, you know, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, and the, the, the men of war of Jericho are looking over the walls going, you bunch of morons, what are you doing? When are you going to fight? I mean, you know they were getting taunted. You bunch of crazy people. And then the laughter that must have just permeated Jericho as 
they heard them blowing, listen to them blowing horns until the ground started shaking. Do you believe God can work in the supernatural? Do you really? For you? You mean God can stretch a paycheck? For you? Do you mean he can make your clothes last longer? For you? I know he did it for the children of Israel. They marched around for 40 years in the desert and never went to Walmart. For you? He'll actually do that for you? Yes. If you'll trust him. You just, you just, you just give it all to him. Can I be honest with you? As I sat in that parking space where that train air conditioning truck is, I was giving Kevin Bounds a hard time a minute ago because he's heard me preach too. He's, a, he's our medical guy today. Thank you, Kevin. He goes, you keep talking about this flip phone you were on. He said, I've still got a flip phone. They sell them at Walmart. Okay, okay. But I remember, what I remember is snapping that, clip, that, that flip phone closed. And when I heard that thing click from talking with Pam, and I laid that phone in the passenger seat of that Chevy Suburban, that company vehicle I was driving, I knew it was over. And inside of me, there was a flood of relief and at the same time, fear. I don't even know how to describe it other than to say that. I was relieved... Because I had surrendered, but then, then here comes Satan with the fear. You've lost your mind. You are going to lose everything you've ever worked for, everything that you've ever trained for, because you are hearing things. You're hearing voices. That's your problem, is you're hearing little people inside your head. You need to go check into Broughton. You understand what I'm saying? At the same time, you know, you feel peace and the next moment you feel fear. Of course Satan's going to come against you. Of course he's going to give you all the what-if scenarios and how it won't work. And how dumb it is. Of course he will. Church, faith pushes us to act before we see the victory. There's one thing you got to get. you got to get that today. Faith pushes you to act before you see the victory. God told Joshua, Jericho is yours. Will you believe it? I had to, I had, I had to make up my mind. I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm literally I'm crying. I mean, tears are burning my cheeks, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what have I actually just said? I'm, I, are you serious? I'm 37 years old. I mean, I'm starting over. Starting from scratch? Yes. Trust me. Church family, faith and obedience are inseparable. You cannot have faith if you don't obey. It's not true faith. You can't call it faith unless you obey. Were, were the children of Israel going to obey Joshua? Did they trust that he was hearing from God? They did. And they would trust. And they would march around the city. You know, sometimes, church, we got to be willing to obey no matter the price, no matter the embarrassment, no matter what anyone else says. 
because faith requires that we believe and act before we see the victory. Isn't the first step the hardest? That first step on the journey? Snap. And I laid that phone down. I'm like, I mean, I knew at that moment. I'm like, I, that's when I, 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 Pam's good with it. I mean, as far as I, I mean, if she's good with it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know, the Lord said it. She's acknowledged it. We're going to do this. But I didn't know what it meant. But I knew God did. And that's all I could go on. But I was still nervous. I remember walking into the meeting with the architect and the contractors. Did a good job. Got us, landed us a big, big job. But I, I still, I was nervous. I was still nervous. I, and, I, and then you start second guessing yourself. You know, you ever done that? You feel like you've heard from the Lord, then you start second guessing it? You know, maybe I just had too many burritos the night before. Is that my, my deal? No. Because when God speaks it to you, His voice clears a path. It's like, it's like a snow plow that, that, that you can see the asphalt. I mean, there it is. And you know it's God. Listen, when you know it's God, you don't doubt it. See, and if it's not God, you will doubt it to the point that you won't act. But I knew it was the Lord. How about you? Are you grimacing at what the Lord is asking you to do? You know the Lord has asked you to do this, something. You know, I could have ignored the voice of God that day. Believe me, I have many times in my life. I told you this is just one example. I wish I had a bunch. I, I don't have many. <laughs> but I did listen that day to walk away would have been easier and just keep making the money I was making. I mean, I'd already had my house paid off if I'd have kept making the money I was making. I mean, I could retire in a couple of years. That's, that's not the way it, it, it works now. And I knew that. I knew that's how it was going to roll. And I'm like, God, really? Is this what you want? He said, yes. This is what I want. Trust me. I'll take care of you, Kevin. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about your home. Don't worry about retirement. Don't worry about any of that. I got all of that. None of that's too hard for me. You trust me. You trust me. And that's what some of you are doing here today. You're in the same position. You're trusting the Lord, and it's hard, and it's scary, but he's got you. This is, Jericho is not too big. It's not impenetrable. And that brings us to a lady, a lady named Rahab. Of all people, a prostitute. Can you believe a prostitute is in the hall of faith? In Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab the prostitute is listed with Moses and Abraham and Noah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, she's there. Let's see why. See it again on the screens. Hebrews eleven thirty one. We're introduced to Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now catch the word disobedient. That, that struck me. I'm like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. How was the, the how are the people of Jericho disobedient? Oh, what, what, had like a preacher come in and preached? 
How are they disobeying? I don't understand that. What, what does it mean? They were disobedient. There, there had to be some reason that, that the Apostle Paul here penned this word disobedient. To be disobedient means that you know what the truth is and you walk away from it. So, so I dug a little deeper and I'm like, okay, well, let's look at this. And so that phrase that was there in verse 31 when it talks about those who are disobedient, as is typical, it's one Greek word for an English phrase. And that Greek word is apatheo. Guess what English word we get from apatheo? Apathetic, yeah. What does it mean to be apathetic? <laughs> it means that, you know, that it, you know what's true, but you just choose not to act on it. You just go, yeah, whatever. Whatever. The people of Jericho were apatheo. They were apathetic. How? I mean, I, what does that mean? I mean, in the Greek there, it literally means not to allow oneself to be persuaded or to refuse to obey. How had the people of Jericho not allowed themselves to be persuaded? Well, in order to show you this, let's go back a couple of more chapters. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 2 and I'll show you this. I'll show you why I believe Jericho was disobedient. They had heard. They had heard. Now, I'm going to do something I seldom do. We're going to read an entire chapter. You go, you're kidding. Nope. It's just one of those days. <laughs> We're going to read Joshua chapter 2 all the way through verse 24. Because I, I got thinking, there's no way to really parse this. I, the Word of God's better than my words, so we're just going to read it, okay? Now, let me set the scene. What's happened is Joshua has secretly sent two spies into Jericho because he wants them to go inside the walls and begin to kind of do a little bit of a covert operation to see what's going on. So we come to verse 1. You got it there, Joshua 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men. We were never told their identity. We don't know who they are. Secretly from Shidom as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Why especially Jericho? Because it is the entrance. It's literally the gate that swings on the hinges that gets you into the promised land. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Verse 2, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now stop there for a moment. How did the king of Jericho know that these two guys or, or anyone detect that they were men of Israel? How did they know that? What, they have a sign on that says we're from Israel? How they dressed? How they wore their hair? Church, I've told you this many times and it, it still fits for this, for this age and generation. You know how people will be talking about some issue, some whatever, they'll go back to the Old Testament and they go to the book of Leviticus and they'll say to a Christian, oh, well, if you believe that, then I guess you don't eat shellfish and I guess you wear your hair long and I guess you don't wear two types of, of fabric together and don't plant two types of crop in your field. That's what the, that's what the Israelites did. They didn't wear two types of fabric. They, the men grew their hair long at the temples, down in a little long curl. They didn't plant two types of crops in their fields, so you recognize they were Israelites. That was to keep the nation separate, to keep the nation separate so that Jesus could come from the nation of Israel, come by way of the loins of Abraham. Do you understand? That's the ceremonial law. Christians are not taught to keep the ceremonial law. We only keep the moral law, which is embodied in the new covenant by way of the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't kill. We don't steal. We don't commit murder. We don't bear false witness. You understand? But when people today try to say to you, oh, you believe that about that issue, 
Well, I, and that's found in the book of Leviticus. Oh, so I guess you don't eat shellfish, and I guess you don't wear two types of fat. That is for Israel. That is the ceremonial law for the nation of Israel. And that's why I believe that they were able to be identified by the people of Jericho, and it got word to the king of Jericho and said, bring those two Israelites out. Okay, you still with me? That's a side note. Okay, that was free. You ready? <laughs> Here we go. Now watch this. Verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Is that the truth? No, that's a lie. Is this okay that she's lying? Verse 5. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. She said, I do not know where the men went. Is that true? She is a bald-faced liar. I mean, you be frank and I'll be honest. We'll just get serious about this. She's a liar. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. You know what you do with flax? You make rope out of it. Rahab is a rope maker. Verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So is it okay that she lied because she was actually doing the will of God? Answer, no. Do you think that God could have still gotten this plan accomplished? Could, do you think that if God can put the rings around Saturn, he can hide two men? Yes. Sometimes people condone lying by way of Rahab. No. This is a prostitute, a lady who is slowly coming to faith in understanding who God is. And she is working her way out of this mess. Any of you been there in your life? Hmm? Come to Christ and you begin to work some stuff out and you still got some old stinking thinking back there in the brain? Right? Listen. God did not need her to have to lie, but she resorted to the only thing she knew to resort to. I mean, that's what apparently she was accustomed to doing. God did not need her to use deceit for him to get his will done. He never does. Don't think that you've got to lie in order to get something done. God honors the truth. You understand that, church? God honors the truth. That's important for us to understand because sometimes people use Rahab as an excuse. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, now watch this phrase, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She said, Lord, that's the word for Yahweh. She said, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord, now this is the part I want you to get. This is where they are going to be indicted for their disobedience. Did you see that? For we have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years earlier. This, this had been permeating through Jericho for 40 years about who these people were. And about God. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we, see it again, heard it. See, now they're guilty because they've heard. 
Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Now watch this phrase. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you see her belief? Here's a lady who was a prostitute who is involved in all kinds of perhaps pagan worship and she finally understands who the only real God is, Yahweh God, the great I Am. Verse 12, now then please, she said, swear to me by the Lord. She didn't say swear to me by some other God. She said swear to me by Yahweh that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. You see how this lady's attention now is turning to people other than herself? Verse 14, And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope, that's because she's a rope maker, through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. That would be an interesting house. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. You know what I think happened? Look at me just for a second. She's a rope maker. So what do you think she's got laid out all over the place in her house? Ropes. And I believe one of those two men went, um, take this, this one. You take this one and you hang it out the window. And when we come back and destroy this place and we see that rope, we'll save you. It's amazing. You know, I think about Rahab. She's a rope maker. Again, this lady had an occupation. She had, she had perhaps a way of, of making a living. But in her mind, it wasn't enough perhaps. And she had to go to the oldest profession and go to this, this lifestyle of prostitution. So often it seems in life that when we try to, to get so much and have so much that we can begin to sacrifice that which we know is true and right and good. Be careful in the pursuit of things that you don't begin, begin to sacrifice that which is most important, your integrity, the person that God has called you to be. Listen, this life is short, folks. It's short. Don't, for, for, for money or possessions, sell your integrity. Don't do that. Don't do that. Here, here she is. She says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And, and we're in the middle part of verse 18. And, and they said, gather your, into your house your mom and your dad, your brothers and your father's household. Verse 19, then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head. It's like her house is going to be like, well, it sounds like the ark, doesn't it? Like Noah's ark. You go outside of this house, there's doom. Like Noah's ark. Outside of the ark, there was destruction. Inside of Rahab's house, there's safety. 
and we will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within your house, his blood shall be on our heads, said the spies. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. That's exactly how long she said to. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land. They melt away. Why? Because of fear, because of us. And so there it is. There's the account of Rahab and her faith. Joshua was so encouraged that if you look in your Bibles into chapter 3, you'll see that it, because we've gone back in time a little bit, that's when he made the decision, okay, we can do this. The, the spies have agreed to this, and we're going to go ahead now, and we're going to cross the Jordan River. And God separated the Jordan River and allowed them to cross over just as they had crossed the Red Sea 40 years earlier. And this brings us now to where they are right there in front of Jericho. And they're going to have to trust the nation of Israel, what God has said to Joshua in this strange military strategy of just walking around a city and then blowing trumpets. Now, I want us to see this. In order to see this, go back in your Bible, same, same book, go back to Joshua chapter 6, go to verse 15. And we're going to sit, skip ahead for sake of time for the first six days. Now we're to day seven, okay? How many times have got to walk around it on day seven? Seven times. You ready? Here goes. Verse 15, chapter 6 of Joshua. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, that's those ram's horns, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the message whom we sent. Can you imagine that? Here's Joshua giving this command to those two million, two and a half million, maybe three million people. And he's saying, all right, this is it. Day seven, seven times around. And hey, everybody, we're going to destroy the city except for, did he name her? Rahab. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Here's a lady who was a prostitute in a pagan city, Jericho, that's now been named by Joshua among all of the people. Why? Because she believed. She believed in God. And he said, when y'all go in there, you take it all except for Rahab. Remember Rahab. And that word... Just transferred through all the people. Rahab. Rahab. They don't even know her. Rahab. 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 Rahab is in the hall of faith. I'll tell you again, right beside of Moses and Noah and Enoch and Abel, Jacob and Joseph, Joshua. It's amazing. It truly is. It truly is. So what happened? The walls fell, did they not? They conquered the city. See the artist's depiction of this? Do you see the red cord? Look hard. Do you see it? Say amen if you see it. See the left side? See the red cord? Looks like blood coming out of the window, doesn't it? 
Can you imagine? Those seven priests blow those ram's horns. And the earth started to shake. And down came the walls. And the men of valor and of war were ready to go take the city except for that one area. And I want you to see this because I want you to see who Joshua sent back in to get her. He sent back the same two men. Watch this. You're, you're still in chapter 6. Go down to verse 22. Joshua 6, 22. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Now go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's house household and all who belong to her Joshua saved alive and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho wow what an amazing account of a lady's faith of a nation's faith of a man named Joshua's faith Hey, church, do you know what I thought of? It came to mind a passage that's actually in the New Testament that I wanted to share with you when I read this and studied this. Don't turn there, but just look at it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. This is what Jericho reminds me of when, when, when we can't do it in our own strength. Watch this. For though we walk in the flesh, and we do, we're in our flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. What kind of power? The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, the power of the Lord Jesus. To do what? To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God, the Word of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when, our, when your obedience is complete. You know, there were times when even after my family, Pam and I, had surrendered to what God had asked us to do, um, and even had lunch with a couple that go to this church that's here today and told them, and they too were nodding and like, yeah, we see it in you too. I was still afraid just walking through that season of life. I'd like to admit to you that I just had perfect peace and no fear at all. I'd, that'd be a lie. I would still wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, 2 o'clock in the morning, just terrorized with fear. What are you doing? What are you doing? To know that, you know, when the, when the pay is, 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 is cut, and, and, and it has to be, going from where I was to becoming just a, 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 a helper in the church here as an associate pastor, I still look back and I go, I do not know how we survived you know why that's good? Because it's a God thing. It truly was God. I, I would come to, I, I would, I remember there were days I would shake a man's hand and I'd pull my hand back and it'd be, it'd be a $20 bill or a $100 bill. And, and, and somebody would say, well, God just told me to give this to you that, you, that you needed this. You know what I mean? Right at the moment that we needed it. The church took up money when we were trying to adopt Clara. 
and, and we, we cashed out my 401k to when we adopted Clara. And because I didn't have any, I mean, I wasn't making any money. I, I, I had a 60% pay cut. And so, so, but the church took up money. They did coins for Clara. And they took these big old water jugs. You know, you like the big water jugs you turn over and you, and, and the church collected almost $1,000. Stuff like that happened all the time. Had a lady that showed up and knocked on our door on a Saturday morning. And she, she said, she, she's a, a distant relative, but she, she lives uh, out of the county. And she said, I'd heard that you were adopted. And she said, the Lord placed on my heart to come and, and just help in a small way. I've told this story before and gave me a check. I stuck it back in my pocket and didn't think anything about it. I was making pancakes. Uh, and, and then Candace said, well, Daddy, well, how much did she give us? I, oh, okay. I checked. It was $1,000. You, you see how the Lord provided? The Lord took care of us. Every step of the way, every, every time we needed something, just, and, 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 and so often for us, where does the rubber hit the road for all of us? Money. Money. And it's where, it's where we can panic. Don't panic. Don't panic. Trust the Lord. Trust in what he's telling you. Trust in how he will provide. He will. You can't think about next week, next month, tomorrow sometimes. I, I, I got to the place I couldn't do that. I'm still that way. I, I don't even worry about down there. I can't because I'm not there. I'm still raising kids. and You know what I'm saying? So don't, don't be afraid of the future. Just do what God is telling you to, to do today and enjoy the journey. Because if you don't enjoy the journey today, you're going to live your life always thinking about tomorrow and you can't enjoy today. Enjoy your family today. Enjoy your health today. It might be gone tomorrow. Enjoy this life. Be grateful that you're here. Be grateful that you can eat some lunch here in a little bit. Be grateful that you have a roof over your head. Be thankful for what you have. Don't get hung up in next week, next month, next year. Can I get an amen? That'll bring comfort to your heart. It brings comfort to my heart. And that is Rahab. You know, last thing before we go, um, I want to show you this artist's depiction, one other thought about Rahab. See her there? I mean, she had the perfect occupation in order to get those guys. You mean her being a prostitute? No, being a rope maker. <laughs> right? To get them out of the city. You think that's a coincidence? That she's up there drying flax to make more rope? No. God knew exactly what he's doing. Sending those men to her. Because I believe Rahab, when she had heard those stories, deep in her heart, began to believe. You know Rahab's in the family line of Jesus. Did you know that? What? Yes! Did you know a prostitute is in the family lineage of Jesus? According to Matthew chapter 1, you'll find her name. I want to show this to you by way of a chart. Take a look at this chart. Rahab, the former prostitute, is in the family line of Jesus. And here's how it works. This is so intriguing. See the top? Abraham's father. Remember him? Terah. Right? He had two sons, Abraham and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot. See the right side? Lot would become the father of Moab, and the Moabites were pagan. But from the Moabites would come Ruth, who would trust in God and marry a man named Boaz, who came from the line of Abraham. Boaz would become the father of Obed. 
Obed would become the father of Jesse, and Jesse would become the father of David. And so how about this? Rahab was the great-great-grandma of King David. Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. And that would make her in the lineage of Jesus because Joseph and Mary would go to Bethlehem to the city of David where Jesus would be born. Now, why do I tell you this? Simply this. There is a scarlet thread woven through the fabric of the lineage of Jesus, even by way of a prostitute. Do not let your past define your future. There is a red line that winds its way through the lineage of Christ. A red cord, a rope that hung from the window of a prostitute's house indicating that she had believed. Belief changes everything, just like it did for the children of Israel. Remember, we've seen this before. The children of Israel had to believe, but they weren't tying ropes from their houses. What were they doing? They were doing something crazy too. They were taking blood and putting blood outside their door. That's crazy too, isn't it? And the death angel passed over, and the people were saved. Rahab didn't have blood on her window, but it was a cord as red as blood. Rahab could have never earned her way into the kingdom or certainly into the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And for, listen, listen, and for these Jews, these Hebrews that are listening to this in Hebrews 11, they're going, wait a minute. This woman is in the hall of faith with Abraham? This woman never went to the temple she never walked into a synagogue. She never brought a lamb to be sacrificed by a priest. She never went through any of the ceremonial washings or cleansings. She never celebrated Passover. But here she is in the hall of faith with Abraham. Oh, my. That gives us all hope. Does it not? Hallelujah. Church, the demonstration of faith is always obedience. And that obedience is the evidence of our faith in God, no matter how it looks, no matter how bizarre, no matter what others might say. Belief changes everything. We don't look at the walls. We listen to the voice of God, even in a parking space in a love's gas station that brought me here today. That's, it's crazy when you think back on, on when you've obeyed God. I am standing here today because I closed a flip phone and laid it on a passenger seat of a Chevy, Chevy Suburban, and I said, okay, okay. God, thank you. God can do anything with your life. Seek Him. Really go after what He wants you to be doing. Obey Him. That doesn't mean, you, again, you know, okay, i got to go into the ministry. No, I said that earlier. It's not about that. Are you doing what God has called you to do? It, it may not have nothing to do with the ministry, quote, unquote, but again, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. Where you live, where you work, the place you buy your groceries, you have a ministry. Live it. We are salt and light. We are ambassadors for Christ. And today, we're hanging red cords in people's windows. Who is it that needs... She saved her whole family. 
She saved her whole family. This lady of ill repute who's in the hall of faith, Rahab. Will you trust God today? Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, thank you, Lord, for the poignancy of your word. And thank you, Lord, for Rahab. I mean, it's like, what? There's a, there's a prostitute in the line of Jesus? Yes. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what you can do to the human heart and that nothing in our past can keep us from your mercy and from your grace. The, I'm so grateful that love covers a multitude of sins. Lord, maybe there are those here today, maybe there are believers here today, and they've, they're in a place that they're, they're kind of sitting in a parking space, and they're like, okay, am I going to trust God on this or not? Lord, give them the courage. Lord, again, I wish I had more examples. I, I don't. I, I just I have very few in my life, but I, I'll never forget that October morning. Lord, and I'm grateful that on that occasion I obeyed. There's been times I haven't obeyed, and I've paid the consequences for it. But that day I obeyed. Pam, help me. Thank you for a godly wife. Thank you for her trust and obedience. Thank you for this church that took a chance on me, that believed in me. Lord, thank you for today, just being here today. I'm, I'm still humbled. I don't feel worthy. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus. They've never come to the most important place in their life that they've got to tie a cord in the window of their life and say, save me. Save me. Maybe there's a, a boy or a girl, a man or a woman today that needs to be saved. I was so thankful after the first service I had a little girl come up to me and tell me she got saved last Sunday. We'll baptize her here in a couple months. Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful for, Lord, all that you do. Lord, I pray for the one today that's on the cusp of believing but just hasn't made it public. It, Rahab's name was said to everybody. Rahab, Rahab, Rahab. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that needs Jesus, that they'll just come and take a few moments back here in this uh, little back corner room where there's people back here. I'm back there, Pastor Dale, Matthew. We, we just want to have enough time to talk and not have to rush through just a couple of verses in a song. We want to have time to pray with those that need prayer, with those that have a burden and need. We want to be able to use this time. Lord, so I pray for anyone here today not to leave until their hearts are clear. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've accomplished. Lord, here today, I pray you'll continue to use us for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.